This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luca Lewitz Mabla. And I'm Yannick Mangia. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? Next generation consoles. Good, but before we start, we have some follow-up. Mine is quite short for this week. I just kind of a small, a small status update on where is my journey through not to going on Twitter. Uh, I think in the past two, three weeks uh, since we recorded... Uh, I think I've maintained most of it. Uh, for sure, uh, in the past week, it was a bit harder. I did use a bit of Twitter, especially with the announcement of the new M1 Max, which one day I'm sure in 2021 we'll discuss about it because uh, our <laughs> next few episodes are quite filled already. And Yannick has a follow-up item for that just in a sec. But overall, I'm quite happy with what happened still. Uh I think we discuss some of the politicals shit happened. So uh, I know y- you went back uh, and I wouldn't consider that I fully went back as before. So I couple of important days where I want to follow up the up-to-date news of like, for example, when all the uh, M1 Max embargo reviews lift off. Uh, that was nice to just go see what people were freaking out on Twitter about this. Uh, but overall... Uh, it's not back in my life as it was before, which I think is a good improvement. I'm still kind of fine-tuning it. I want it slowly but surely back. That's more or less how I conclude the episodes. Like I, I want it back for some important things, but I'm still working through that at a pace that I feel is slow enough. So I try to build good habits at the same time and not making sure to uh, bring back too much of the negativity. I did... I follow one of your advice, which was to slowly but surely go clean up my uh, follow list. I think I removed uh, 20 accounts, nice. more or less. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I went through it. So I went from, I think, 210 I was before to 190 on the spot. Um and hopefully, uh, I'll like to do this exercise in about a couple of weeks to see like, hey, you know what? Like, I don't really, really care about what you've said in the past few weeks because I didn't read it uh, because I was not using the app. So I'll stay tuned. I'll uh, post back. But uh, at least at this point, more than a month after the start of this experiment, I am not looking back, which is good news. Cool. Uh, so first off of my follow-up uh, programming note, uh, you may have noticed over the last week that LimitlessPossibility.net is now being served over HTTPS. Uh, I tweeted about this on the LimitPo account. Uh, if you notice any issues, uh, either on the website itself or via podcatchers, uh, please let us know. Uh, I don't think anyone's really encountered anything or like we caught the issues before they actually happened for anybody. Uh, so that happened so hopefully you can hear our beautiful voices again uh and if you hear this message it means that you received the episode which means it went well uh hopefully on top of that i did make a small mistake that yannick, uh, yannick asked me to correct hopefully uh your uh, podcast client didn't re-download uh, our back catalog of episodes i think i did submit the fix just before uh uh, either like Apple Podcasts or even third-party uh, clients like Overcast would sync back with our RSS feed. So hopefully that didn't happen. If it did, please let us know. Apple Podcasts that did actually refresh. Uh, I had a duplicate episode on my end, which is what actually prompted me to message you. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> but then, yeah, it, that was the only podcatcher, as far as I know, that had any issues with it. Uh, next point of follow-up is about episode 137 on VTubers. Uh, this is not... Strictly speaking, follow-up, it's more of a plug, uh, because uh, previous guest of the show, uh, Spirit Snare, uh, 
actually had a chance to do some design work for one of the Hololive English YouTubers, uh, VTubers. Uh, he did the, uh, logo for Kiara's most recent talk show and also uh, an album art for, um, for her first single. Uh, so big props to Spirit Snare. Uh, it's always cool when the homies get to work on something cool. Uh, so we will put links to that, uh, in the show notes. If you're into VTubers, definitely go check it out. Yes, congrats. Uh, next up, some follow-up on episode 133 on interviewing developers. Uh, I found mm. out about something in the last two weeks that was actually pretty interesting. Uh, have you heard about this thing called Seven GUIs? Seven GUIs? No. So Seven GUIs is kind of this list of seven mini apps you can ask people to implement to basically encounter the entirety of things you would encounter implementing UIs. Uh, so the apps themselves are... A uh, simple counter, a temperature converter, flight booker, timer, uh, CRUD app, so create, read, update, delete, uh, a circle drawer, which I mean, like that's the most complicated one to explain. So we'll just go see the website and it'll make sense there. And a mini spreadsheet. And basically, by doing all of these things, you you are basically exposed to all of the different kinds of bindings and interactions that you would uh, have to be familiar with to be a competent UI developer. Uh, so I found this to be a very interesting benchmark. Uh, I'm not sure if I have anything really more to say about it right now than that, but I thought it was a really neat idea. And I think there are, there is potential in having more of these kinds of benchmarks where you can have like these simple projects to test an entire competence level on a certain thing. Uh, so I'll do some more thinking about it, but I just wanted to get that link out there uh, for people who might be interested. Uh, next up is follow-up to episode 129 on cloud streaming. Uh, and this is where it sort of ties into episode 150, which is going to be our next episode. Uh, so currently, uh, well, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, as we've mentioned on previous Educative uh, episodes, uh, Google does hardware give giveaways to YouTube premium members uh, every holiday season. And this year's giveaway is a Stadia Premiere Edition bundle. Uh, so I believe this promotion is already over in the United States and the UK. Currently, it is live in Canada, but it is as supplies last. And like the first time I did it, first of all, the promotion is incredibly awkward and has a bunch of crazy steps. Uh, but mm -hmm. once you actually go through all those steps, sometimes you can get stonewalled and be told there's no more in stock, which is what happened to me the first time I did it. Uh so it, it it's incredibly awkward, and we'll probably talk more about it on the next episode. Uh, but just a heads up that this promotion is live in certain countries. Uh, go check if it's live for you. And if you're a YouTube Premium member, you can get this $130 hardware for free. So go try it if you want. Related to, I don't know if they're going to do it this year, but last year with the uh, Google Home Minis, they uh, did some around Black Friday. They also did some throughout the holiday season. And I think they, they did one also recently. So again, your mileage may vary if you miss your chance because it is now uh, completed in your own, uh, in the country you live. Maybe finger crossed they'll be kind and do it again. Uh, because to me, it's while I do enjoy uh, YouTube Premium, it's a, go a good way to uh, subsidize YouTube Premium uh, for the last year and a half or so. Yeah, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Shannon, and like he and I went to Google I.O. together and we were talking about how much free hardware we got out of Google over the years. It's kind of nuts. 
And we didn't even get all the hardware we could have. If we had gone to the right session, we could have gotten an extra cell phone. It's like, <laughs> there we go. Uh, so we're going to end this follow-up with a nice little dig at Windows, because why not? Uh, this is about episode 127 on the 64-bit Catalina migration. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but .NET 5 launched in the last two weeks. I uh, did not. So basically there was a splinter thing where uh, there was .NET Framework 4 point something and they had the replacement for .NET 4, which was called .NET Core, which was in development. And they had three major versions of that. And then they were like, well, it would be .NET Core 4, but let's just converge the two timelines together and make it .NET 5 to move forward. So it was a big convergence points for all of the .NET developers that happened recently. And what that means is new SDKs for everyone. And here is a quote from ZDNet. The .NET 5 software development kit currently does not contain the Windows desktop components, Windows Forms, and WPF on Windows ARM 64. Only on <laughs> ARM 32. Oh my goodness. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can only write console and ASP.NET Core applications on ARM 64 right now because who the fuck wants to write desktop applications for Windows ARM 64? Oh, yeah, 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 Windows and Microsoft. Sometimes it's hard to understand how they think about software. Also, kind of related to this, I might actually put this in the show notes as well if I don't forget. Uh, there was a Hacker News thread about the uh, Apple Silicon build of World of Warcraft, which is frankly amazing stats-wise, um, but that's not the plan. There was also a whole uh, comment thread about why does Windows not see as much success with its ARM64 efforts? And it's kind of like, well, because Microsoft does everything in, in its entire power to shoot themselves in the foot every opportunity they get. <laughs> so that was just real funny. So that's it for follow-up this week. Now let's move on to the main topic, next-generation consoles. Woo-hoo! Yep. Uh, we were talking about this before we recorded the show, but it, it's new toy season uh, for a lot of people right now. <laughs> It is. I did mention the M1 Max, and I don't want to start a tangent on this episode about them, but oh my god. Yep. So what's real interesting about these next-generation consoles is that the entire lead-up to these consoles feels like it was defined by COVID. Uh, and the reason I say that is because the big game industry trade shows were all canceled this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually E3 happens around May, Gamescom is around July, and Tokyo Game Show is around September. And uh, there were more or less remote equivalents for these trade shows, but I did not feel like the same level of excitement that I would usually feel uh, around those times. And honestly, at this rate, who knows if these will ever return. Uh, E3 was already looking pretty bad before COVID happened, so I don't think there's an E3 anymore. Uh, but what this event schedule uh, meant before was that you had predictable milestones between the announcement of a system, which would usually happen before or during E3, and the release of a system, which is usually the holiday season, at which you could gradually reveal information throughout the year. Uh, and this year, well, the blueprint was gone. Uh, all these events were off the schedule, and that meant console makers were free to announce whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. And uh, for a while, they were just playing chicken to see who was going to say stuff first, and nobody was saying anything. So we waited a real long fucking time to get info on these consoles. <laughs> 
And uh, what makes it a little bit rougher is that usually these newly announced consoles are playable at most, if not all, of these events. Uh, so while not everyone gets to attend these events, of course, uh, that would usually mean that we would get to hear from people in the press who got to play them at these events, and we would get to watch videos of people playing these consoles at these events. And if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, for this generation of consoles, by the end of October, I knew less about the actual experience of playing an Xbox Series X or a PS5 than I did about the GameCube a year before it came out, because every magazine was talking about it. Uh, it's actually kind of weird, and not something I'm used to. I'm used to having information overload, not radio silence for nine months. <laughs> It is quite interesting. Wait a second. It's quite interesting that you mentioned that because I did feel, and usually I, I do somewhat follow like video games news, but it's not in my like high level list of topics where I will follow any all the news, all the website uh, every day. And but I kind of felt, and it was interesting because I kind of felt a bit different than you for this. I uh, still that overall, I felt that in the past year or so, even because of COVID, that. Microsoft and Sony were able to kind of keep up and build a momentum and also like were good at teasing a lot of things and just give you enough information to keep your, keep the audience and the fans curious enough. Uh, and I kind of enjoyed that. Um, I guess because it was kind of, oh, I want to know, I want to know. And they get the drama. Oh, yes, today there's a new, there's some more news about it. Um, so interesting because I, I had a different opinion for this one of the things i would say is it's it's nice to sometimes wake up and then like while i'm on the bus it's like oh a giant wired article got published and we have like all of the details on the 3d audio system in the ps5 except they're not actually calling it the ps5 because they don't want to tell us the name of the console yet and that's really mm -hmm. fucking weird and like that was the thing that happened this year and it was really weird um and i guess it's nice it kind of reminds me of like those apple drops where like Uh, Tim Cook will tweet a picture of an iPad mini and then it suddenly it's out. Uh, it it kind of has that vibe, but for game consoles, because they're not going to drop the game console randomly because Sega tried that and it didn't go very well. Uh, so it, it, I like the element of surprise is nice, but I feel like there are a lot of core details about these consoles that we found out about way too late in certain cases after the pre-orders were already done. And that is a problem in my view, because I can't make an informed buying decision if you're withdrawing information until the very last second. And I guess we can get to more specific examples of that later on. Um, just to give a little uh, idea of what the structure for this episode is going to be. First, I'm going to touch on some common points, and then we're going to go through and talk about the Xbox and then the PS5, and then a little bit about the Switch at the end of that. So common elements to this console generation. Uh, so... The last console generation was actually quite interesting because there was a mid-generation update uh, for PS4 and for Xbox. Uh, the PS4 got the PS4 Pro, and the Xbox got the Xbox One X, which is not the Xbox Series X, which is the new console. And I will probably fuck it up all episode long. Um, I'd, I'd like to note that since the beginning, you're quite good. So Yeah, so far I haven't fucked it up. Uh, I'll, uh, I think I'll notice when I fuck it up. Uh, <laughs> and I've been writing these words a lot over the last week, so I, I think I'm used to it by now. Um, but yeah, th that mid-generation update uh, targeted out, uh, upscaled 4K, which meant that they would uh, build an, an image usually at around 1440p-ish, and they would use various upscaling techniques to bring it up to a 4K image that could go on a 4K television. Uh, this generation is targeting up to native 4K resolutions instead of relying on upscaling. Uh, there still is upscaling, but 
native 4K is actually viable for many kinds of games. Uh, many of these consoles are going to support most, if not all, of HDMI 2.1, uh, which means uh, you can have up to 120 frames per second uh, frame rate output or variable refresh rate. Uh, so if you have uh, certain free sync displays or whatever, uh, you can hook up an Xbox to those and uh, your device and your display will negotiate about like real time what the refresh rate should be and it'll sync to when the frame is ready and not to what the refresh rate of the monitor is. And this means usually smoother gameplay because you're not sending half frames and having frame tearing and all that stuff. Uh, one of the big graphics features for this generation is going to be hardware-accelerated ray tracing. Uh, what this means in English is more realistic lighting, shadows, and reflections. If you have seen uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, you know very well what I'm talking about because the comparison between the PS4 and PS5 versions is fucking insane. Uh, by the way, I would mention, uh, I will take a note. Uh, I would put a link of the PS5 review from The Verge in the show notes. I was watching it in preparation for this episode and they have a clear example of like what is, not not what is ray tracing, but what are the effects that can be done using ray tracing and the impact it has on the game. They show a clear example where they put... Uh, they put Spider-Man in front of windows and it's like clear reflection. And then the other one, the window, the, the, they frosted, the developers frosted the window so that there's no reflection, but it looks kind of familiar and real enough that you don't really care when you're just walking in the city. It's like really jarring the difference when you, when you dry, you're drawing your eye to it. Yeah, or if you've ever seen really weird-looking water in games because the water reflections are based on what's displayed on screen and not what's actually like supposed to reflect in places, sometimes you can have some really wacky effects. Like in Destiny, that was one of the things that the visual effects that I found was worst in the entire game. Uh, well, ray tracing kind of takes care of that. What is great about the, this hardware generation is that SSDs are now standard, which means dramatically faster load times everywhere, whereas before uh, hard drives were standard... And even if you did upgrade to an SSD to a certain degree, uh, games were not optimized to take advantage of SSD. Uh, there are some interesting approaches to boost clocks and peak performance. I'm going to go into the specifics of that uh, in each system because they are very different in how they do it and what, whether it actually matters or not is a whole other question. Uh, there are two console SKUs per platform. Uh, once again, we'll delve into the particularities through each platform and heavy emphasis on backward compatibility. So yeah, I, I think that pretty much does it for the common points. Do you think? Uh, yeah. And would, oh, I guess we can bring it up when we talk about uh, back compat, but I'm quite happy to see that it was uh, a tenpole feature for both uh, the Xbox series consoles and the PS5. Yep, we're going to talk more about that in a bit. So let's start off with Xbox Series S and Series X. Uh, so first of all, the two SKUs. So the Series S targets a target resolution of 1080p. It is digital only, and it comes in at a budget price point uh, compared to the Series X, which is sort of the flagship device. Targets 4K, of course. It has a UHD Blu-ray drive, so you can use your physical games on it. And the marketing message behind these two SKUs is that, in theory, there is feature parity between these two devices. The only thing that should distinguish them is their target resolution. Now, the question that's on everybody's mind, at least on the technical side, is, is that actually true? Will it scale gracefully going forward? Um, one of the issues we saw with 
Xbox One S and Xbox One X, which were the equivalent two SKUs uh, on the older Xbox One, uh, was that Xbox One S was terrible and Xbox One X was fantastic. And the last year or so of games has ter- performed terribly on Xbox One S. And if you're an Xbox One gamer right now and you don't have an Xbox One X, you are not very happy with your experience. Uh, so you have to make sure that the hardware choices you are making will scale nicely with the games that are being made. At least this time, this choice is being made at the same time. Whereas before it was literally like one console came out to two and a half years after the original or a couple of years afterwards. Um, so like in theory, you think you have the optics of like what the good gap to have is, but not everyone is convinced that this is actually going to hold up going forward. It's funny that you mentioned this because uh, I, I do feel from what we've learned in the past few years that the advantage the One X had over like all the other Xbox One's consoles was like always thought it as like, oh yeah, like the One X is so amazing, but then it was kind of a middle finger to all the Xbox One current users compared to the PS4 and PS4 Pro where a lot of people were kind of I'd say disappointed with uh, the uh, upgrades and the what made the pro the PS4 Pro Pro, but overall, uh, as PS4 users that we are and not PS4 Pro users, I think we did not did not end up getting neglected in the past two or three years, which is a good plus for us because it keeps our loyalty to sony in a bit like we will be more inclined to say hey you know what like yes we didn't buy the ps4 pro even if we uh, game a lot but hey if if our con like if all the games we've enjoyed can be moved to the ps5 and we can enjoy the ps4 pro experience that those game got updates for on the ps5 like it's a win-win situation it's even deeper than that but we'll get to it when we get to back compat on the PS5 because it, it's really interesting how like all of these hardware choices on all of these generations of consoles, like it, in the actual moment that these mid-cycle updates were happening, like the choices made a certain amount of sense and they played a certain way. And now with like the the current gen, well the current the the new generation of consoles there's like a whole other context to these changes that we didn't even think of at the time. And it's real weird to see the interrelation of that, but that's a tease for later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I mixed a bit back on path, but my point was to say maybe that the fact that the PS4 Pro was not a big departure from PS4 meant that in the end, it was kind of a benefit for any PS4 users because the games were more or less optimized for both at the same time. Whereas to optimize for One X meant neglecting any other one consoles well it wasn't so much neglecting it was more like it's just hard to make games for xbox one and xbox one s because the hardware sucks it's basically a switch (laughs) (laughs) i forgot about that that's true yeah yeah uh so i want i want to talk a little bit about these uh game reveal events that they did uh Throughout the summer, like around, I think it was early June or something, they had these game reveal events. They had one for third-party stuff, and they had one for Xbox Game Studio stuff. Uh, At the start of the third-party one, they announced very proudly that uh, they, being Microsoft, uh, they announced very proudly that gamers love to see in-engine footage and that they'd be showing a lot of it off during the events. Uh, Microsoft kind of playing with words there. I mean, technically, it 
technically it's true what they said, but what gamers actually love is seeing in-engine gameplay footage running on the system you're selling to them. What they actually showed was in-engine cutscenes running on a PC, which is not good for an Xbox event. It was not what people wanted to see, and it felt very dishonest. And the fact that they actually drew attention to the fact that they were showing in-engine footage, but kind of hand-waving what kind of in-engine footage, it just felt really stupid. And it killed a lot of gamer enthusiasm about that. Um, I want to talk about boost clocks. Uh, Now, I don't want to get too technical, because I honestly don't understand all the details of this. I'm a software guy, not a hardware guy. Uh, but this was one of the details that I thought was particularly interesting, except as we'll see later in the PS5 section, maybe it doesn't actually matter. Uh, so uh, one of the notable distinguishing factors between PS5 and Xbox Series consoles is the approach to boost clocks. Uh, so if you're familiar with like uh, the shitty Intel MacBooks that we've just got rid of, uh, your computer <laughs> runs at a certain clock speed and then you can turbo boost to a faster hot speed uh hot speed uh clock speed and uh, which makes the cpu goes hot so that's yeah it's not technically false yes uh, but yeah it, it makes your thing hot and uh that actually is related because the previous generation of consoles had a lot of cooling issues uh what's interesting about xbox series is there are no boost clocks at all the entire system is based around fixed sustained performance. So CPU performance has two performance profiles, uh, whether you have hyper threading on or off and the clocks are completely fixed for each mode. So if you have a uh, multi, uh, not multi threading, hyper threading on uh, series S is a 3.4 gigahertz CPU clock and uh, series X is 3.6 gigahertz. Uh, whereas if you have hyper threading off, each core is 3.6 or 3.8 on SNX. Um, and then GPU performance, uh, it's always the same. So on series S it's four teraflops and on series X it's 12 teraflops. And you can see right there, like when I was talking earlier about like, does this scale, you've got like three times more on series X than you do on series S. Is that significant enough of a gap that it, it's going to be able to handle exactly the same effects on 1080p and 4K. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, and what's interesting about all of this is, of course, because everything is fixed all the time, nothing ever adjusts according to system load or thermals. Uh, and the idea is uh, you always have peak performance, so you know exactly what the performance is going to be, so you can optimize exactly for what peak performance is all the time and just trust that our cooling will work. Now, if you remember the Xbox 360 or the original <laughs> Xbox to some degree, uh, you have reasons to be skeptical. I ha- I am skeptical, but I mean, so far so good, question mark? You can float ping pong balls on the fan in the Xbox Series X. So, I mean, that's cool. I don't know if that means that it's actually going to be sufficient, though. Yeah, and the initial review seems to all... Most of them seems to say... Uh, the airflow seems to be constant, but it's also not that much noisy too, which is a good addition from the current or the old gen. Yeah, both systems are apparently quite quiet, which is great because my uh, PS4 is really fucking loud. It sounds like there's a plane taking off every time I turn it on. And uh, I don't play it during the summer because it, my apartment becomes 30 degrees Celsius and it's terrible. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, anything 
so the thermals are better, really. And uh, it, it's a neat approach, but we'll see the PS5 approach is actually somewhat different, and it's quite interesting. But again, it might not matter. So let's get into the unique selling points of this thing, starting off with Xbox Game Pass. Uh, so towards the latter half of the Xbox One generation, there was a big push at Microsoft into subscription services. And what Xbox Game Pass is, is it is a monthly subscription to all of the Xbox Game Studio titles as soon as they are available at launch. And also a massive back catalog of games that span all of the Xbox console generations. So if you're familiar with PlayStation Plus, uh, PlayStation Plus is a monthly subscription. uh, But what makes that different is that that subscription accrues value over time. Each month you gain new games that become part of your PlayStation Plus library. Um... Whereas Game Pass, you join it, and it's like Netflix. You get immediate access to this instant game library all at once. You don't have to gain it slowly over time. Uh, game Pass comes in two and a half tiers. Uh, these are Canadian prices because I could not find the U.S. prices. Uh, oh, wait, two and a half? You'll see. Uh, okay. So there's the console tier at eleven ninety nine per month. Uh, this just gets you access to the games. Period. Uh, the same tier is offered on PC with a different game library. That's why I said console. Uh, there's Ultimate, which is $16.99 a month. This includes xCloud game streaming, which we talked about on the cloud uh, cloud gaming episode. Xbox Live Gold, which means you can play multiplayer games with your friends. And EA Play, which is EA's own subscription service, which gives you access to early versions of EA games. Uh, basically, I think you get like... Uh, all of the EA games a week or so early before the day one patches, which is really fucking weird. Uh, but yeah, you, you get EA Play. Uh, and on top of that, you get console and PC tiers of uh, the base Xbox Game Pass all in there. So it's a pretty good deal. And then the half tier is All Access, which starts at twenty nine ninety nine a month. And this is Ultimate plus an Xbox Series S or X console with no upfront cost. Oh. So if you pay $29.99 a month, you get the Xbox Series S. And if you pay $39.99 a month, you get the Xbox Series X with it. And after two years, you own the console. Uh, yeah. So that's the deal. Uh, there have been some launch issues with these because the, the inventory for these consoles is quite limited to begin with. And it seems that all access is only getting access to like a subset of that inventory. Uh, so right now I have... Uh, someone i know in uh, winnipeg is trying to get sign up for all access and cannot find any stores in their area that actually has any consoles set aside for all access that they can actually buy uh so that seems to be awkward in canada anyway um but it is an option oh wait so the console is kind of reserved into like a retailer it's not like shipped directly from microsoft uh in canada it's uh eb games as a partner Weird. I would I would have assumed that yeah okay you can just go buy at EB Games the, the the console but then if you go through this it is shipped directly from Microsoft. No, I th- I think like the the deals for this were signed before COVID or something and it makes like literally no sense and you have to go to a retail location to pick it up and now it's Ugh. fucking weird. Uh, but yeah, I mean it, it was a good idea in theory. I'm not sure the launch was quite up to par, but it the idea is good anyway. Yeah, I guess it's, it goes down to. Our typical say about Microsoft, they, they have great ideas. Maybe the, and the execution is sometimes good. Now, I, I want to talk about the pricing of these tiers because one of the things that's quite interesting is if you buy two um, Microsoft or Xbox Game Studio games a year, 
you are leaving value on the table by not signing up for the basic tier of Game Pass. Uh, and if we looked forward to 2021, there's going to be Halo Infinite in 2021, assuming it doesn't get delayed for another year, which would be fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be out already. Yeah, but if you forget that, Halo Infinite is coming out next year, and they didn't make a Forza game this year, so it's coming out next year. So that means mm. if you're interested in picking up both Halo and Forza, just sign up for Game Pass. You're going to get both of them at lunch, and you're going to get the entire back catalog of Xbox games that's already on there. In the current Microsoft offering, can you still buy just like, uh, I think it's Xbox Live Gold? Like just standalone, I want to play online and that's it? Yeah, but it costs like eight ninety nine a month. So you oh. can just get Ultimate, which gets you all of that, plus xCloud, plus EA Play. It's like kind of stupid to even buy Xbox Live on its own anymore. Right, I see that. I, I would have assumed the price would be more like four ninety nine, five ninety nine, not eight ninety nine. No. Hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. And the reason I bring it up is it's actually incredibly rare that a new console generation kind of brings changes to the business model of consoles itself. And like, I mean, this is technically something that's been around since the Xbox. I guess all access is new because of uh, the new hardware being part of it. But the thing that's really interesting about this is they're really positioning Xbox Series S aggressively as being like, get this box, get Game Pass, and you basically have next-gen gaming for incredibly cheap, and you have access to every good game on the system already by paying the subscription. It's not a bad deal. Uh, like, it's it's an incredibly good value. It's just, like, you have to be comfortable with the idea of not owning your games, which certain gamers are not going to like. Uh, but I, I feel like they sort of took all of the ideas they had for... What they were going to do with the original Xbox One that all the gamers bitched about and they said, okay, maybe we're not doing that and it didn't really matter because everybody bought PS4s instead. <laughs> and they're just replaying them right now. Like, you can't even boot the uh, the Xbox Series consoles without a network connection. I don't think it works. Um Which was one of the downsides that people hated about the, X- the original Xbox One pitch. Um and they U-turn from that, but now they're just like retrying it this time to see if it works because Game Pass, and it seems like it works. I don't know. Uh, we'll see, but it's real interesting. Uh, do you have anything else to add for Game Pass before we move on to the next feature? The, uh, one thing, it seems to me that the way they've set up their kind of plans and everything is a good way to attract some people that wants to transition maybe from sony to microsoft yeah. or that they want to dip their toe and maybe lower their initial uh commitment by saying like you know uh i'm eager to see what happens if you try to cancel it but though uh but uh it could be a cheap way to get a new console to get a shit ton of games and then just pay at least the console part over two years or three years yeah it's really really good deal and i'd have a tough time like telling someone not to get it because there is no real reason not to get it. If you have an Xbox, you're kind of dumb if you don't have a Game Pass. And that's kind of the truth. <laughs> yeah, I was just talking about All Access, where you also get to pay the console in the same monthly price. Yeah, I'm really interested in seeing how that turns out over time. I don't know how the launch has been going in the US. Uh, I hope it's doing better than the Canadian launch. But if they solve those issues, it could be pretty interesting. Okay, next feature, quick resume. Uh, this is enabled by the SSD. Uh, so on these Xbox Series consoles, 100 gigabyte of uh, storage space is reserved by the operating system for this quick resume feature. And, uh, 
And what you do with those 100 gigabytes is you jam snapshots of the entire contents of memory into it. Uh, and this is how they do quick resume, which basically simulates multitasking between about five games at once. Uh, you basically just dump all of memory to your SSD and then you switch games. And then when you switch back, it just reloads all of the contents of memory back onto memory and you're playing within 10 seconds. It's actually kind of super impressive. I don't know if you got the chance to watch the videos that I sent you, uh, of this feature in action. Uh, I am not sure I watched your video, but I did watch reviews that were showing it off. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it's super impressive. Uh, there are some issues, of course, uh, if games downloaded updates uh, while you were doing the quick resume stuff, uh, like the memory doesn't necessarily map cleanly into the new address space. And sometimes there are some weird issues. Uh, so I, I saw people who were using like um, on Xbox, well, on PS4, you can do this too. You can have games download until like you can start playing and then they continue downloading. Well, when the game had completely finished downloading, the state of the binary was different and you couldn't just cleanly restore all of the RAM back. So the save state was effectively broken. So you shouldn't depend on this to actually save your game. But it is real convenient that if you're playing like five games at once, you can just restore state real quickly and hopefully everything will work. Um, I've heard a couple issues about this feature, but it is really nice and it seems to work real well when it does so it's kind of cool one thing i've read though is it seems that it does not support all the games games have to be patched for it and i think backward compatibility just works because presumably these games aren't getting patches anymore Mm -hmm. because it was for some reviews it wasn't clear like which one would work and which one wouldn't yeah i i can see that yeah so i guess we have to get to the elephant in the room with the xbox which is uh it doesn't have any games. <laughs> oh, I, I thought it was that it's an Xbox, but no, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It has what's on Game Pass, but so th- this is hilarious to me because re- reviewers actually complained that it was hard to evaluate the Xbox Series consoles as next gen consoles because there are no next gen games shipped on them at launch, which is a big oof for your console. <laughs> And as we've alluded to, Halo Infinite was going to be the big launch game for the Xbox, except, well, a bunch of things happened. So first of all, it looked really fucking bad when they first unveiled it. And I understand why it looked bad, but it's inexcusable. (laughs) So Halo Infinite is in a tricky situation because it's a cross-gen game. And what that means is it has to support the original Xbox One, which is a shitty piece of hardware. Uh, so the entire game's lighting model was current gen, and by current gen, I mean Xbox One generation. So it looks absolutely embarrassing compared to everything you were seeing in PS5 trailers or even other Xbox Series trailers. It was just bad. <laughs> and then 343, uh, which is the studio who makes Halo ever since Bungie uh, dropped out, uh, they made it worse because they said, oh, well, yeah, we could make a better lighting model, and that'll be a patch that will come out after the game launches, which is just... <laughs> the dumbest thing you could possibly say oh no yeah so all of that happened and then they delayed the game because covid apparently uh and then throughout the summer high position employees on the project have quit the studio so the entire project is looking real bad like real bad and unfortunately they didn't have any other games so all of these reviewers like it it sucks because like you're seeing them play like three-year-old xbox games and being like 
yeah, this three-year-old Xbox game looks like a nicer version of this three-year-old Xbox game, but, like, there are no new games for it that look new. Um, and that sucks. And it especially sucks because that was kind of also the story of the Xbox One generation as well. Uh, as we mentioned, Xbox One was technically inferior to PS4 in a noticeable way, so nobody wanted to play multi-platform games on it, and it had very few appealing exclusive games. And they did announce some appealing exclusive games, but those games ended up in development hell, and they ended up canceled before they went anywhere. Um, so that kind of sucked. Uh, Microsoft has been acquiring a ton of studios over the past few years, although I will note they are acquiring a ton of European and North American studios and zero Japanese studios. Maybe they should get into that. But the question is, will they ever deliver compelling exclusives or will they just get stuck in development hell and Xbox will just be the Halo and Forza console forever? And making things worse... uh, like midway through the Xbox One generation, Microsoft basically pledged that every Xbox exclusive will also come out on PC at the same time because Windows is also their platform. How many people would be buying Xboxes but aren't because they are just going to play it on their gaming PC instead? Like that is a legitimate concern, I think, for hardcore gamers. A lot of them have gaming PCs and if they have the option between buying a system for a game or just playing it on PC, maybe with worse a little bit worse graphics like i think they're gonna get it on pc and especially like steam sales and all of that stuff like there's no real contest if it's available on pc and i think they're shooting themselves in the foot on that front yeah and hopefully hopefully what will not happen is microsoft is buying all the nice studios that have uh sony exclusives and then they end up in development l and they all die so then we don't have exclusives on the sony side either because of that uh but yeah no uh, i'm eager to see I-, I think like during the 360 and ps3 generation there was uh, a handful of game that it was like you know i like my ps3 but i wish i had a 360 to play those games uh, that was not the case at all um, for the Xbox One. And some recent uh, acquisition from Microsoft makes me wonder if they will finally do that. And this with with this generation that we'll, we'll see appe- yes, appealing, like, appealing games that are only on Microsoft consoles. Because that's literally what they need. But at the same time, like, if you look at, uh, well, there are two things. Like, Microsoft bought ZeniMax, which is a mm-hmm. big brand that actually owns, uh, uh, what's their name? Bethesda. Bethesda, yeah. Um, I don't know why I was blanking on the name right there. But they, they make games people actually care about. And uh, they're basically saying they're going to treat it like they treated uh, Mojang, which was the Minecraft company. Mm. And basically they keep making games for all the platforms imaginable because it's a cash machine and you would be stupid to turn down the money from the cash machine. So they're like, oh, well, we'll just tactically deploy exclusives on our platforms. And it's like, well, you're leaving money on the table by not selling Xbox consoles that you could be if you made certain games exclusives. It would piss everyone off, but they'd still buy it because they want to play your game. Uh, Although with the current reputation of Bethesda in the recent years, I'm not sure how much that will stay true. But if they hurry up, maybe. Uh, And the other thing is... 
Xbox exclusives have started coming out on Switch. Uh, we've seen Cuphead, we've seen Ori and the whatever the fuck, because I never never remember what the second half of the name of the game is. Uh, I know which game you're referring to because I saw it in a lot of the... The Blind Xbox. Forest, I think. Yeah, something like that, because I saw it. I was, <laughs> okay, yes. But but yeah, like those games are coming out on Switch. And in fact, like the amount of effort that is necessary to actually port them to Switch is significant uh even if they're kind of just a worse xbox one like they had to work to make it work on xbox one too uh but yeah like it's i don't know how long they can keep playing that card and while xbox is flailing around with no real business right now true and to quickly go on the switch and i'm sure we'll bring it in the later part of the episode is like even if it's uh, costly to bring it to the Switch, you'll make it back because a lot of people are buying Switch and a lot of people are looking for games on the Switch. So, Yep, there was an NPR article about that today, actually. Uh, so I'll try to remember to put a link to that in the show notes. So let's actually move on to what Microsoft was doing while they were flailing around with no games on the Xbox One. They did the one thing they could do, which was backward compatibility. Uh, they invested heavily in it. Uh, Xbox One could play both 360 and original Xbox games through a combination of emulation and binary translation. Uh, unfortunately, they're on a whitelist approach, um, but most titles that were released in North America through, uh, work through this uh, emulation binary translation hybrid method. And then when Xbox One X came along, they went the extra mile by having game-by-game enhancement patches. Uh, so this usually meant higher resolution textures, HDR support being patched into old-ass games. Uh, in the case of uh, something like Final Fantasy XIII, which uh, was a Blu-ray game on the PS3 and was trying to fit into DVDs on Xbox 360, all of the cutscenes were incredibly compressed and ugly. Uh, they re-rendered all of those at higher resolutions and patched them into the Xbox One X backward compatibility version. So that was great for people, and now that is the premier way to play Final Fantasy XIII. It's even better than the PC version. Um, there's region-free backward compatibility. So if your Xbox games had region codes, which they did on original Xbox and uh, about half of the 360 games did as well, uh, now the region code is simply ignored. And you can play all region games on uh, Xbox One and on Xbox Series consoles, which is great. Uh, the only thing that kind of sucks about that is a lot of the games that people want to play are in Japan region and nobody cares about Japan Xbox. So the patches aren't coming so that those games are whitelisted, but maybe one day. Uh, and basically Xbox series takes all of the things that you did on Xbox one. And they just say, Oh yeah. And we'll just add all the Xbox one games on top of that. into the supported generations and Xbox one and Xbox series are not that different in terms of software. They're basically both windows 10. Uh, so they support this thing called smart delivery. And Smart Delivery is Microsoft for app slicing. Uh, basically what it means is Xbox One and Xbox Series have the same underlying game runtime, and you can just deliver progressive enhancements on your hardware. If you want to have higher resolution assets or whatever, you can just have that only be downloaded on Xbox Series consoles, and it magically does the stuff for you. A good example of a Smart Delivery game is Forza Horizon 4. Uh, that is an Xbox One game that came out last year, and it gets bumped up to runs at PC Max settings on Xbox Series consoles uh, if you're playing it on Xbox Series X, which is great. Um, most of the games that have been re released throughout the year have been smart delivery enabled, and most, if not all, of the Microsoft-developed Xbox Game Studio games are retroactively being patched to be smart delivery as well. So 
they're basically doing forward compatibility as well by supporting this smart delivery thing going forward. And presumably if a new Xbox generation comes out or mid-generation comes out uh, three years from now, uh, it can use that same system once again to bring out another set of patches. So that is it for Xbox Series. Wow, that was almost an hour. (laughs) Ready to go to PS5? Of course I am. Okay, I think this is the thing you were waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? Maybe before we do, so to tease a bit more, um, I don't know if it's part of your conclusion or anything, but and it's still early. They just launched. But would you consider a C- uh, Xbox Series console? Hmm. Uh, well, I, I don't have a conclusion. I just have three sections. So I, I don't know. I, I was thinking about it, um, and it mostly comes down to... If they patch in support for 90% of the Japanese Xbox 360 games that I am interested in playing, I become 100% more interested in doing it. Because I was very close to buying an Xbox 360 last year, and the thing that kept me from doing it is I'm like, well, if these games are going to be backward compatibility compatible anyway soon on a newer generation Xbox console... It is less trouble and more reliable to get a newer Xbox console than to get a Japanese 360 of the right generation to not Red Ring of Death on me. Because they sold like three Xbox 360s in Japan. And that is not easy to find. So, And I'm sure you're generous at three. They're, they're, well, it's literally single digits a week. Um, but yeah, if they can do that. There was, like, I do want to play through the Halo trilogy, but there is no good way to play through the Halo trilogy that is not on an Xbox, and I have zero Xbox consoles, and I'm not going to play it on PC. Mm-hmm. So Master Chief Collection is super appealing to me. Forza Horizon 4 is super appealing to me. Like, I, I gave it to my brother last year for Christmas, and I'm jealous because I wanted to play it too. Uh, so, like, maybe I get Game Pass for a while and just, like, play these games and use it as a 360 360- back combat and maybe that's good for an xbox series s i don't think i would get a series x though because i don't think i care enough about xbox for that but series s in like a year or two when it's like lower in price like sure maybe hmm interesting it's cute too i do agree with the design uh that the design of the series s is quite uh cute it's quite uh i think it fits really well as kind of a I was about to say a second class own console, but more kind of your uh, not primary own console. That's more what I meant there. Um, on my side, I don't really know, to be honest. Uh, again, I think we'll see in the next few episodes that uh, uh, my past year in gaming has been uh, up and down. Um, <laughs> so adding one more console means maybe more backlog to catch up on things. So I wouldn't be sure. I think it's a... It's better for me to uh, assume that yes, uh, I cannot play those games. I can like go watch people play it on any like on Twitch and stuff like that, and just like leave that aside. But um, with now your explanation of how like uh, uh, like Game Pass works and all access and all of that stuff, there's kind of a a cheap and simple way to get Xbox in your life and maybe explore what it is and like you said in a year or two see how it evolves so i'm starting to get maybe not tempted but uh, more interested cool um but first let's talk about the ps5 <laughs> mm-hmm. so ps5 also has a dual skew strategy however it is much cleaner than the xbox one well i is it i don't know i, I don't uh, think it is cleaner it's a different approach 
Yeah. Uh, so they have the digital edition, which has no disk drive, and they have the regular PS5, which has a disk drive, and otherwise it is complete feature parity. They are $100 apart in US dollars. I don't know what the Canadian dollar gap is. I assume $100 as well. 130 I think it's 500 oh. and then 629 if I recall correctly. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's literally it. Same one terabyte SSD in both places, same specs, same everything. It's just, is there a drive or not? Uh, which will probably be determined by, do you have a big collection of PS4 games or not? If you care about backward compatibility at all. If you don't, you're probably going with a digital edition. I want to talk about the boost clocks because this is where it gets interesting. So, uh, much like uh, the Xbox and like a lot of other electronics, uh, PS5 runs on a system on a chip. And in this case, the entire system on a chip has a fixed power consumption budget, but the allocation of that budget is variable. So basically what Sony does is they set the budget to whatever can be realistically cooled with this architecture in all of the target uh, operating environments. So they take like the hottest temperature room and the coldest temperature room, and they're like, what can we cool in all of this uh, appropriately? Uh, and they set the budget to that. Then there's a power control unit. And what it does is it's basically a pure function that takes in uh, four arguments. It takes in what's the current state of the CPU? What's the current state of the GPU? What's the current state of memory? And what are the upcoming tasks? And it like crunches some numbers against the simulated system on a chip and says, oh, that'll use about this much power. And then it just allocates the budget of the power consumption budget according to like what needs it most. And that makes the behavior of this system on a chip consistent across all thermal environments in PS5 units. And what this means is you get predictable, reproducible performance in different ways. Uh, developers have said, like, if you take a PS5 and you take it to the North Pole and you take a PS5 and you bring it to the desert and you have them play the same part of the same game, they will do exactly the same things in terms of power consumption uh, budget allocation because it's not dependent on thermals and at all or and all that stuff. Uh, so like what's different with the Xbox approach? Well, the Xbox approach, like we said, it's fixed. It's always the same performance here. Uh, you can basically play with how much power goes to CPU, how much goes to GPU. Uh, and it plays a lot with what we call race to idle. Uh, so this is something also on mobile systems on a chip where you sometimes it's less, it's more energy efficient to boost the processor to go faster so that it finishes sooner so that it spends more time not doing anything uh, than it is to just do it slowly and in a more energy-efficient manner because there are fixed costs and variable costs with all of the operations and all of that stuff. Uh, so basically what that means is uneven CPU and GPU workloads can shine whenever one needs peak performance more than the other. It's funny that you mentioned this because I think uh, LTE chips in cell phones when they first launched was more or less that. The were consuming more power but because you needed them less on uh, uh, working less often because they were doing faster things uh in the end it was more or less the same power usage as before or maybe just slightly uh lower power because your thing was your file was doing faster so who cares if it's consuming more energy in a shorter time because yeah, in the that's, end, that's a great example and it's it's actually true yeah it was like that uh, originally you could see in on certain phones, not all phones, because not certain LTE chips were 
badly implemented uh but you were getting like better battery life on lte than you were on 3g and you were like how does this make any sense well because you're using the chip for less time uh so now i have to give you the bad news which is why this approach probably doesn't really matter in reality <laughs> kind of so if you actually look at the clock speeds of the cpu and the gpu on the ps5 they're slower than the consistent performance on series x so even if you say okay uh all of the power needs to go to the gpu because it is the thing that needs it most right now gpu is only 10 teraflops on ps5 whereas it's 12 teraflops on series x and it's constant 12 teraflops on series x whereas it's only 10 teraflops at peak on ps5 and you're like oh that's fun uh, so if the PS5 components had higher peak frequencies, then we would actually see scenarios where PS5 could boost past Series X's cons- consistent performance if workloads are particularly demanding of one component over the other. But now it's just like, not even. Like the worst case scenario is what we see. And that kind of sucks because it means that this ultimately doesn't actually represent a competitive advantage for the PS5 at all because its chips aren't as good as the Xboxes. It's better than Series S, but it's not better than Series X. I briefly want to touch on the the game reveal events. Um, so PS5 did their game reveal event after the Xbox One, and it shows because they probably read the forums and they saw, hmm, people want to see gameplay. What did those presentations open with? Lots of real <laughs> gameplay of actual games. And like actual gameplay on actual PS5 consoles. Huh, what a great idea. Uh I, I think there was like no better acknowledgement that like they knew exactly the game they were playing than seeing that in the opening minutes of the PS5 game event. It was so much like, oh, they get it. Uh so that was cool. Uh, I want to go all the way back to March. Do you remember what the first thing that we heard about PS5 was? Wasn't it about the controller itself? No. Hmm. Was it the event where there was nothing shown about the PS5, but it was kind of this guy with his Sony laptop and... Yes. Okay, I recall the screenshot of this event, but I forgot what was the big tentpole feature they announced at that time. Yeah, you probably forgot because nobody mentioned it in any of their reviews. They talked about the Tempest 3D Audio Tech Engine. It's a set of audio APIs for positional audio, and it was the first thing to be announced about the PS5 back in March. Uh, They gave a really long and complicated scientific explanation of how positional audio works and their research. They were like, ah, we could have this cool machine learning algorithm that would look at a photo (laughs) of your ear and derive a special audio profile for you. That did not ship, by the way. Um, What they did end up shipping is the adjust 3D audio profile feature in the settings menu. Uh, And basically it plays a positional audio clip in your ears. And you tell it how high is it relative to your ear level or how does it sound, how high does it sound to you relative to where your ears are? And that puts you in one of five audio profiles that most ears fall into. Uh, so yeah. So what's interesting about this is, uh, I guess I technically have well, some level of positional audio on my PS4 setup right now. Uh, I have a mix amp for an Astro headset. And what my Mixamp does is it takes in a 5.1 signal that is designed for surround speakers and it transcodes it into a positional stereo signal. 
And mm-hmm. in Destiny, one of the places I noticed this the most was uh, one of the bosses at the end of the game was this round arena and the boss is invisible. So you can only know where he is by sound. And I know exactly how much I need to turn when I listen to that audio in my headphones uh, to do it basically blind. Uh, so it, it works when it's done through this hacky method that like puts something together with 5.1 signals. Um, but now this is all happening at a software level as part of the audio APIs of the system. And it's done in a way that's native to headphones. And they say they're doing something called virtual surround later. Uh, I think in 2021 that is going to let you simulate surround on stereo speakers on your TV. I have no clue how they're going to do that, but I sure I'll, I'll believe it if I can hear it. The PSVR story is not entirely clear, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, if they do actually go forward with VR on PS5, this could be a huge game changer uh, for VR applications as well, uh, having positional audio like that. Uh, 3D audio is supported in all Sony first-party games announced so far, and apparently Resident 8 Village, which is not out yet. Uh, but I, that, I imagine they will find out some fucked up ways to use that in Resident Evil. Uh, of course they will. Mix that with VR and then you're just dead. Well, we don't know if Village has VR yet, but I mean, RE7 VR was so well received that I don't know how they could not do it, but we'll see, I guess. How can um, it be well received? How can it be? Well, I mean, if you like having your pants ruined, <laughs> I guess. I guess I'm not this person. Okay, so the next thing that they actually did talk about was the DualSense controller, as you had guessed. Well, wait, so they they did talk about it in this event? No, 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 not at that event, but it was the next thing that they announced in chronological order afterwards. Uh, DualShock 4 was interesting on PS4 because it was the first PlayStation controller to really change anything significant from the original DualShock design. If you look at the... I mean, I have them all here. uh, The original DualShock was the original so it couldn't really change much i mean it was an improvement well improvement in quotes on the uh non-dualshock playstation controller that has no sticks uh if you're playing analog games uh we will talk about this on the game of the year episode soon um but uh yeah and then dualshock 2 was basically the same thing except it was black so woo big change there and uh dualshock 3 was basically the same thing except it was wireless uh and dualshock 4 was like oh maybe we should make this more comfortable to hold so they changed the shape a little bit and people really received that well uh so dualsense continues that refinement and changes the shape of the controller even more and they also built in a ton of haptic feedback um, the way to think about it is it's like the Switch's HD rumble, but taken even further. And you also have like entirely customizable triggers uh, through software. And the showcase game for this really appears to be Astro's Playroom, which comes pre-installed on PS5 hardware. Uh, if you go watch YouTubers and streamers who have unboxed their PS5, uh, it comes pre-installed on the system. So they just start playing it and they start freaking out at all of the things they are feeling in their hands. Um, I've also heard that Call of Duty Black Ops Civil War's implementation is really good, although I, uh, it scares me because I can see it being really bad for RSI-related issues uh, if you play a lot of it. Uh, someone said, like, I just played Call of Duty for an hour and it was like I mowed the lawn and I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> That's strange, but I understand what they mean. Yeah, yeah, I I get it. I mean, everything I've seen about Estro's Playroom, it looks awesome. 
But to me, the thing that stands out is how much adoption is this going to actually have in games other than first-party Sony stuff. Uh, if you look at how many games actually implement HD Rumble on the Switch, like like you were saying earlier, like the Switch right now is like the hot development platform. Like everyone wants to be on Switch, even if their game makes no sense on the Switch or it's super impossible to port to the Switch. Like they will find a way to make it on the Switch because everybody wants to buy Switch games right now. And nobody's really putting in HD Rumble anywhere. So why would developers bother with this DualSense controller stuff unless they're making a PlayStation exclusive game? I'm not really sure. Do you have anything else to say? Or- <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, uh, I would say that though, what I liked is, um, was it, so was it with the PS3 or what was the PS4 that the trigger and more travel? I think it was the PS4. Uh, PS3. Pastry. Okay, so I felt though, at least for the triggers themselves, this kind of continuation where they start to make them having more travel, and then now the the um, the sensation of triggering things can be uh, altered depending on what you need to do in the game. And I've seen a couple of interesting things mentioned in reviews about that. Uh, one was again with uh, Astro Playground. Um, and where the uh, triggers can vibrate just to simulate that you're being like, uh, I think is you're being, uh, they were, you know, you're on something and it vibrates. So they do that. Uh, I'm eager to see again, uh, what people will do with it. But again, uh, it, it, this is a type of feature that requires uh, a lot of investment. Hopefully it's not too gimmicky too. Um, a good example of that was the uh, the touchpad behind the Vita, which nobody used <laughs> uh, except the Sony exclusives, or not the Sony exclusive, but the Sony made titles, which was kind of like. Uh, so I do hope that's not the case, uh, but I am eager to see an improved like vibration motors, the same way that our recent iPhones had no longer dumb uh, motors, but haptic feedback and all that fun stuff, because it surprisingly make a great change in the user experience of your device. Yeah, the thing that really sucks for this, though, is this is the kind of thing that benefits greatly from hands-on experience and like demo kiosks and all that stuff, and that is not happening right now. Uh, so it's a harder to sell people on the benefits of this DualSense controller than it would be on a normal console launch in a previous year. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Astrobot Playground was planned to be pre-installed from the get-go, or yes. like, or the COVID situation made it change that it. It got pre-installed because... I mean, Play, Playroom was play, pre-installed on PS4. Oh, really? Yeah. Or oh, I forgot about this then. Uh, I think it, maybe it's an optional download on PS4, but y- you definitely get it for free with a system. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, in this case, it's actually part of the firmware image of the thing. So when you get an OS update, you re-download the entire game, which seems kind of wasteful. Uh, but <laughs> there you go. And it has a bunch of really cute references to a bunch of historic PlayStation games in it, which is really nice. Um, it looks like a really good game and a really nice sequel to Astrobot. Uh, so that was one of my runners up last year, uh, for my game of the year. So I'm very interested in this title, but not like $800 interested in it right now. <laughs> Uh, so next point, backward compatibility. Ooh. And this is where I get into my big rants. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I like everything I have heard about the backward compatibility. The problem is I didn't fucking hear any of it until last week. Uh, so, 
we had zero backward compatibility info at all until late October. We had no hands-on experience until a week before release. And for much of the year, the only phrase we had to refer to about backward compatibility was Mark Cerny back in March said the top 100 games sold on PlayStation 4 will be compatible at launch. Which makes it sound like you're going to support 100 games that came out on PS4 and nothing else. Or it's going to happen gradually over time, kind of like Xbox One did. But that was literally the only sentence we had about backward compatibility until late October, and that is unacceptable for a console that opened pre-orders before that. Okay, no, that's true. I, I forgot about that, but that that's a fair statement, especially if you say it is backward compatible. They could have just said, no, it's not, and then people were freaked out, but uh, they could have decided to do that too. But, but, but like... They wouldn't even say, is the system backward compatible or not? No, they, they would just said the top 100 games sold on PS4 should be compatible at launch. And that means, like, is it going to be patched for PS5? Is it like, it, we don't know any of the context surrounding that. Uh, and it turns out that actually, like, what they did is fantastic. All PS4 games run on PS5. If a game has known compatibility issues on PS5, there's a dialogue box that tells you that there are going to be compatibility issues. But if you actually still want to play it anyway, you just press the button and it continues to let you play. The only exception to this is PT, which is the demo for the Silent Hill game that Kojima was working on before he quit Konami. And Konami explicitly revoked that game's right to run on PS5. Sources have confirmed that there is absolutely no technical reason to do this. It's just to piss off Kojima. Oh. Uh, so th- that's fun. Um, so wait a sec. So it is kind of a, a flag that the game developers control the same way that recently we've seen with Apple as like, oh, your iOS app can run as is on Apple, uh, Apple Silicon Max. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. So yeah, so that, that's fun. Uh, the other thing that was super ambiguous is like, they said PlayStation VR, like they said this like a year and a half ago, like before there was even any PS5 announcement, really. Like they said, oh, yeah, yeah PSVR is going to be forward compatible with whatever comes next. And they sort of never talked about it ever again until late October. And then they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah PSVR is going to work. In fact, there's a PSVR icon in the top level system menu by default, which implies that there's probably going to be more VR stuff on PS5 because it's a main part of the UI. Um, but you're going to need a hardware dongle to connect the PS camera to the PS5. Uh, Sony has yet to actually say how you get this dongle because it's not sold anywhere. And the dongle is necessary because the PS camera has a proprietary connector and it was using a draft version of USB 3. So you need to have the dongle to convert it to actual USB 3 and uh, actual USB 3 connector. Whoa, wait, uh, how is the camera connected today on the PS4? It's a little... It, it, looks like a USB-C port, but it's not. It's like a proprietary connector. Right, but this port is on the PSVR, like a media box? Or no, it's, it's on, on the, the PS4. P- oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it's in the yeah, it's in the back, if I yeah, recall correctly. Yeah, it's the weird-ass port that nobody ever used except the right. people who have PSVR headsets. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot about that port. Yeah, so you need that dongle. Otherwise, you can't do anything with your PSVR on PS5, which is kind of weird. It's also not clear if... Uh, I think there's a new PS5 camera that came out. I don't know if it actually works in that scenario, if you can just use the PS5 camera, or if it has to be the PS4 camera that's adapted onto PS5. Absolutely, I don't know. 
Uh, so like none of that info being available even now after the system is launched kind of also pisses me off. <laughs> it, it's just not a great messaging experience. Uh, but I guess I'm kind of used to it because Sony isn't necessarily always the best messenger, uh, for this kind of stuff. Uh, the backward compatibility experience is more or less what PS4 Pro boost mode is all the time. So what that means is if a game supports dynamic resolution or uncapped frame rate or both, uh, any additional specs on top of what was standard on PS4 Pro uh, get piped directly into the game engine and it improves the experience that way. So a good example of that is uh, Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne are two games that use the same engine. Bloodborne has a 30 FPS cap, so even though it would most likely run at 60 FPS on PS5, it just hits the cap and nothing changes from PS4 Pro. Dark Souls 3 had a different patch, which uncapped the frame rate on PS4 Pro. That means it runs like shit on PS4 Pro because it runs at 40 FPS instead of 30 or 60, uh, but it runs at 60 FPS on PS5, which is great. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, PS4 Pro was weaker than Xbox One X on paper, but the fun thing is that the performance multiplier between PS4 Pro and PS5 is bigger than the multiplier from Xbox One X to Xbox Series X. What this means is that if you're playing PS4 Pro games that were sluggish on PS4 Pro, uh, PS5 backward compatibility gives more stable frame rates than the equivalent game on Series X going from Xbox One X because of the multiplier gap. And that was kind of what I was alluding to earlier is the gap being bigger means that your experience on PS5 is actually better than than that. And because the gap between PS4 and PS4 Pro was not that big, your experience was better during that period. Whereas if you were on original Xbox One, your experience was shit. And if you were on Xbox One X, it was much better than shit. But if something was shit on Xbox One X, it's still probably a little bit shit on Series X. Right. And to go back to my point about this is it feels that the people that upgraded to PS4 Pro still has something worked for them two, three years later to upgrade to PS5. Whereas people that didn't want to move to PS4 Pro will see this big jump up till PS5 and still get the benefit, the, the kind of the intrinsic benefits of what PS4 Pro was, was take your current PS4 game and it, they supposedly should be running better or give you 4K. Well, upscaled 4K, but yeah. Right, right. But like, quote-unquote 4K. Like, you, you check the 4K mark, and it works even if it's upscaled. But now, even with PS5, you would remove this uh, upscale. No, it would still be stuck at the resolution of the PS4 Pro on backward compatibility mode. Uh, d if it's dynamic, it can actually surpass what it is on PS4 Pro. But, uh, mm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. One thing I did not mention earlier, uh, PS4 five box has an 8k logo on it but it can't actually output 8k right now uh so that's fun whoa that's just for marketing purposes i'm though i'm not surprised i don't know if like the blu-ray drive would output 8k if there are 8k blu-rays i am not familiar enough with mm. that side of things i am still on 1080p blu-ray right now so i don't know um, moving on with backward compatibility. Uh, so PS3 games are still only compatible via PlayStation Now, like on PS4. And in fact, uh, if you look at what's going on on the PS3 emulation front right now, uh, lots of people are wondering if PS3 will ever emulate cleanly on Intel. So that is probably not going to happen anytime soon, but we can hope. Uh, certain games are, certain games run great under emulation and other ones just fall on their, on their face. 
select PS2 games are still available via emulation as PS4 games that work through backward compatibility. Uh, so more or less like every PS2 game that you see on the PS4 store right now is running through binary translation and uh, that can now run through back compat. Uh, Sony continues to pretend that the PS1 doesn't exist for some reason. Uh, you can't play PS1 games. I don't know why. It's the easiest one to emulate of the entire gang, and there are very stable emulators that Sony themselves have developed that are basically perfect, so I don't know what their deal is. They just don't want to, but... Yeah, at this point, their stubbornness for that means they just don't want to. I mean, one probably next year, they could just come out and say, like, we're not actually doing anything this year. We're just porting in PS1 emulator and everybody's going to freak out because it's about fucking time they do that. Uh, last note on backward compatibility is you get 20 free PS4 games if you are a PS Plus mem- member with a PS5 right now. Uh, it's called the PlayStation Plus Collection. The entire collection of games is as follows. Bloodborne, Day is Gone, Detroit Become Human... God of War, Infamous Second Son, Ratchet and Clank, The Last Guardian, The Last of Us Remastered, Until Dawn, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, Batman Arkham Knight, Battlefield 1, which I highly recommend, uh, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 3 Zombie Chronicles Edition, real fucking weird that they went with Black Ops 3 of all things and not 4, but okay, whatever, uh, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Fallout 4, Final Fantasy 15 Royal Edition, Monster Hunter World, Mortal Kombat 10, uh, Persona 5, and Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. So you just get all of that for free uh, if you are on PS Plus and have a PS5 right now. Uh, I don't know how long that's staying there, if that's just permanently available to PS5 owners, uh, but it's a real good deal. It's basically like the top 20 games that have sold on PS4, so it's not a bad deal to get all of those for free. Um, and there are a lot of real bangers in there. So, uh, it's real mm-hmm. nice. And I think they've said that all of them have patches for PS5 as well. So they perform better. So like, it's no brainer. Uh, I know one of our friends, mutual friends, Shannon, uh, got a PS5 and basically said, I'm just using it for PS4 back combat. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of the story too for PS5, right? There are PS5 games, but. Uh, they're so far few in between that it's still at this point, like, you get some, at least. There's some games, uh, Spider-Man, there's uh, Miles Bug Morales. Snacks, Miles Morales, there's, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, De- Devil May Cry, the re-released version with the ray tracing. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, a handful or some is better than zero, but yes. still both system whether it's the microsoft or the sony one this kind of still imply that you need to like it, it was important for them to have a back combat story and I, I guess that goes back to your your sentiment of like man we needed more information earlier to know what is the situation because with no next chain next gen game and no back combat story why would I buy the next-gen game, the Danger console today and not wait in a year from now? And, like, the, the thing Sony has is, like, maybe their launch lineup is a little anemic, maybe not so much as Xbox, but it's still a little bit anemic. But Horizon 2 is coming, Gran Turismo 7 is coming. Mm. Uh, there's a bunch of third-party support that we've seen through the uh, various reveal events that are coming uh miles morales is actually looks fantastic um one of the things that i actually really think is cool about that game is because it is kind of like uh uncharted lost legacy and it's like a a shorter game in that universe 
I would not actually like I know by myself that I would not be able to play the full Spider-Man game because I am not going to stand that level of combat for 25 hours. But if you give me a nine hour Spider-Man game with that combat, I'll be able to tolerate it. Uh, so mm. like I went from having more or less zero interest in the original Spider-Man game to like if I have a PS5, I'm probably going to get Miles Morales because I'm not going to get bored of this game before I finish it. Um, so it's a real nice uh, treat in a way uh, to sort of experiment with those games when you know they're not entirely something you want to do, but they're short enough that you don't really care. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it for uh, what I had to say about the games on the system. I do have one comment that is kind of transition from back combat two um me being sad that now the all the game consoles more or less are just like pcs yeah like yes they use socs and not like discrete components like a real pc but i felt that their kind of proprietariness their strangeness like the PS3 with its cell CPU was crazy and not necessarily for the best though. Sadly, not for the best, uh, especially for the PS3 example, but it didn't make those devices all like consoles by themselves. It was a clear distinction. They were running something different. And while I agree that it is maybe better for gamers and especially if Sony and Microsoft will continue that we'll have a PS4 Pro, a PS5 Pro maybe in a couple of years from now. So not having like kind of a seven and eight year generation, but we do have an upgrade in the mid gen brings back compat functionalities, makes it easier to be built on top of similar hardware than having like a weird power pc cpu then another weird power pc cpu that is not compatible with the previous weird power pc cpu and then none of the games can be easily ported or even just run on this new architecture so while it was fun as a tech nerd to see what those tech companies were doing were building i do i i am happy to see that making it making them use more like off the shelf components if we can call it this way even if there's there are strange socs means that they can update those consoles more frequently give us more powers more frequently too and makes it to be easier to back combat games but again we still feel like we still i still am fond of those weird consoles from the past that add something that i feel those consoles are like just like a pc that i don't need to care too much about upgrading neither the cpu nor the gpu except just buying a new one when the new one comes in and not having to do that every year i can do that still every let's say five years yeah and like tying it back to one of the evergreen topics on the show um like forward compatibility has a cost and that is you have to keep the same apis over long periods of time and like I have no problem believing that Microsoft's going to do it because that is sort of their bread and butter. Um, <laughs> Sony, I'm not so sure. Um, but like there is an actual cost to that and it limits, like you have to maintain that over time and it's not necessarily always the most fun thing. And like you, you can also see like the flip side of that if you look at how Apple handles migrations and they are just like, well, fuck you. And if you don't want to come along, then too bad. Uh, 
And one of the things that I really liked about consoles, and I've brought up multiple times on the show, is you bought this box. It was a fixed platform. You knew exactly what you were developing for, and it was never going to change. And now you have these devices, which are kind of becoming more PC-like in that they can run on a large range of different specs, and you have these adaptable games, and it just doesn't feel as tailor-made as it used to. And couple that with, like, all of the same PC bullshit that we have now with downloading patches for games and OS updates and all of that stuff constantly and managing storage, which is like another issue if those games are all 100 gigs or more and you have a terabyte SSD or if you have like the Xbox Series S, you have like 380 gigabytes free on your 512 uh, gigabyte SSD. Like, congratulations, you can have maybe three and a half games uh, if you play like next gen games. Or just the latest Call of Duty game, because I think I've heard it. It's was like, 200 something, yeah. Yeah, 250, 260 something. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you just play Call of Duty. It's my Call of Duty console. Well, some people are actually like that. Like, I know, I know. <laughs> I think we know one, but uh, it's like, yeah, it, it, it's... And, and I mean, like, uh, PS5 has expansion via, like, well, you have to get one that's fast enough to actually be up to spec. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Xbox has their proprietary thing, so. And regarding the uh, NVNE expansion port for SSDs, I think Sony hasn't released any specs because they did mention that even if it's a standard port, they won't allow, or I, I don't know how they'll enforce it, I guess. It's a whitelist. To... There's one model on it right now, I think. Oh, really? The first one came out like last week. Oh, wow. Okay, I missed that. Because I, I from what I recall, like none of the SSDs, NVNE SSDs were supported at this point. Yeah, because they weren't fast enough to meet the spec. And I think like that, that was one of the... And there are a bunch of issues with storage management as well on these consoles. Like right now, for some reason, PS5 games can't be moved uh, to external drives like at all. You can't even like store them locally on an external hard drive in cold storage like you can on Xbox. So like storage story needs improvement. But like all of that is bullshit that I would expect from PC gaming. Mm-hmm. And it is not shit I want in my console experience. And I think like I sort of hit a critical mass of that with PS4 where I just kind of didn't play it much this year at all and spent all my time playing PS1 because I put the disc in the thing, I press the button and I play. And uh, especially now that I've realized that much of my internet issues were caused by the PS4 and therefore I need to shut the com- console completely off when I'm not playing it, my patches never get downloaded. So I'm always waiting after patches. So it's not a good experience. <laughs> One point that you make, are making right now is why I do enjoy the Switch. Because you put the cartridge in and it works. That's a brilliant segue. It's almost like you planned it. I did not plan it. But when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, I need to do this transition through the Switch. Okay, okay, okay. So sure, we'll do that. Uh, so as you may have heard, the Wii U was such a flop on the market (laughs) that they needed to rush something out to replace it so if you go by traditional generation numbering uh switch was technically the first next generation console to come out this generation but it launched back in 2017 so we're already kind of hearing rumors about a new switch version that would be coming early next year and would be 4k compatible and i know that like from the exterior it may actually seem like a massive jump in performance but I think I actually know how they can accomplish it on a technical level without actually needing to make as huge a jump as you think it would be. So Nintendo's uh, system on a chip is an NVIDIA Tegra, and NVIDIA has a technology on their two last generations of their PC graphics cards called DLSS. 
And DLSS stands for Deep Learning Super Sampling. And the way you should think about this is uh, there was checkerboard uh, upscaling on PS4 Pro. Uh, Well, DLSS is basically checkerboarding plus machine learning jammed together. Uh, Machine learning model takes in a low resolution render of a scene and a bunch of OpenGL render context information, or I guess it's Vulkan or whatever the API you're using is, uh, takes all of that chews it, spits out a new high-resolution render that in many cases looks almost as good as a native render. Uh, On PC right now, there are two quality modes. You can take a 1440p image and render it as 4K, or you can take a performance mode, which is 1080p to 4K. Um, There is a performance cost of DLSS. You can't quite get the same performance you would out of the original like 1440p or 1080p resolution. Uh, but ultimately, the frame rates of the target resolution can be somewhere around 35% better than native resolution. Uh, right now, this is kind of only available on a game-by-game basis on PC because ML models need to be trained for each game separately. But uh, the current version that is being tested right now is DLSS 2.0 second generation. It uses tensor cores on uh, these new NVIDIA GPUs to have a generic ML model that can be applied to all games. Can you repeat the name? DLSS? Yeah, no, but the, the newest version. Did you say DLSS 2.0 second gen? Yes. It's like oh USB goodness. standards. <laughs> oh my goodness, this name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, there are a couple examples of this out in the wild. There are a lot of uh, Digital Foundry videos that show this running on Control, which is a very visually stunning, uh, well, last generation game uh, that also has a bunch of ray tracing effects if you're using it on PC with these RTX GPUs. So it looks absolutely amazing uh, to begin with as a game. But then you can see like exactly what it looks like if you compare a native 4K render of that scene to 1440p DLSS up to 4K. And honestly, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. And that is mind-blowing. Uh, and same goes for 1080p sometimes. 1080p tends to be a little bit rougher. It's a little bit blurrier at places. Um, and uh, Death Stranding is the same thing that that was a very visually stunning game and that game for some reason there are like certain visual effects that do have notable artifacting and they come out more in Death Stranding for some reason Um, but in general it is an incredibly impressive technique and what that means is that Right now, uh, the Switch basically renders to 720p most of the time, unless it's a very visually taxing game, in which case it's probably running at like 576p, uh, which is not great. Yep. But uh, if they bumped up the specs and made it so it was at the very least able to render 1080p reliably, um, then you could use DLSS to upscale that to 4K. And... NVIDIA is actually already making mobile SOCs that have AI upscaling technology on board. So it would not be a huge stretch to add something like DLSS to those SOCs. And now it's just a question of whether Nintendo actually wants to go forward with something that is powered by ML that can produce unexpected results because it's machine learning. Uh, Now, of course, like I mentioned, the original version of DLSS was game by game and you had to train the ML model on a game-by-game basis. So could it be part of the Nintendo approval process to train DLSS models to avoid uh, these weird artifact issues if you're using too generic of an algorithm? And 
we don't even know what the fuck the deal is with uh, forward and backward compatibility on Switch because Nintendo sort of hasn't really cared about that in a really long time. Um, but what does that imply for uh, forward and backward compatibility? Does it lock them into using NVIDIA GPUs for the rest of time? Like, I don't know. Uh, so there, there's a lot of stuff to think about there, but all that to say is really like 4k capable switch is not that much of a stretch it doesn't mean that they need to put like a cpu or a gpu that's like 16 times better than what's in the switch right now and have a tremendous battery cost uh like it's within the realm of realistic at the very least and uh it's going to be pretty exciting to see uh if that happens, and the other thing that's completely unknown about this is, like, if this is a Switch Pro, is it going to be a replacement for the existing Switch? Is it going to be a uh, home-only version of the Switch? Like, the Switch Lite is the portable-only version of the Switch? Like, there's a lot of stuff that is yet to be determined about this rumored skew, but it's all technically possible. Let me tell you why I would like to see the next-gen Switch. Better battery life when you use it in portable mode. Because battery life is not so great. It's yeah. Like we're talking about what, four or five hours? Like when we have phones that they can, you can play with the, play games for like a whole day on them. But like I've been saying that since the 3DS came out and that runs at 240p. So I'm like, I'm not sure they give a shit anymore. That's true. Uh, that, uh, like battery life hasn't been their strong suit on NL devices in Nintendo for a long time. Since the DSi, more or less. The DS wasn't too, yeah, that's true. The DS Lite wasn't too bad. DS Lite was great. DSi is where it sort of went downhill because like Wi-Fi started to become mm-hmm. more widespread and like on by default, whereas DS Lite was only on when you were online. True, true. I forgot about this, but yeah. Um, so better value life because on the Switch should be better. Even on Lite, like I see Tony playing, and it's like a lot of times he's like playing next to. Uh, next to the charger so it's not so great um, going completely opposed to what I just said a better <laughs> screen I, I'm always surprised to this day how games can look really nice when played on a TV and how bad they look when you play it handheld because the screen is utterly bad on the Switch again it's not the worst screen on the world but it was not so great in 2017 when the Switch launched. In 2020, it's just a joke. It's funny because, like, I think my opinion is the opposite. It's games look like garbage on TVs and they look fine when you play them on a handheld. They don't look great. They look fine. Yeah, you you do. <sighs> I'm Even then, I do feel that it is not too bad. Even if sometimes the, the, the Switch struggles when you put it on the TV, I feel... Overall, because it struggles and it tried to give you 1080p, it does look better for this. Uh, but I've seen um, which game did I play that I, I this I did add this feeling. I think it's uh, the Zelda I played recently, which I forgot. But a Link's Awakening. Thank you, a Link's Awakening. I think I had a couple of moments like, oh no, you know, I'll play on the TV. Oh yeah, it looks great, but struggles a bit. And look on the uh, look on the console. Like, oh yeah, it's uh, and held not too bad, but. I still stick to my points. Better screen for 2020. It's like it's literally ridiculing Nintendo on the market. Um, 
I don't really care too much about 4K, and I'm surprised I say that because uh, I do enjoy my 4K TV, and I do enjoy like watching YouTube on 4K now with the Apple TV. I was super excited about that. But if we get better battery life, let's say we get a 1080p screen, which means it can run 1080p correctly all the time, whether it's uh, through the TV or through the NL screen. I would didn't care too much about 1080p uh, about 4K. Excuse me. I haven't seen any games today on the Switch that would be worth this extra resolution. And I, and I guess it's related to the fact that a lot of the games I would play on the PS4 or even on the Xbox consoles are trying to emulate our real world. So the better resolution you have, the more real things you see, like... A, a person's face on screen more looks more real, looks like real skin. Like you don't really care when you're playing Link's Awakening and it's all cartoonish and like really and not and drawn, but like it's not really trying to make it real. It's trying to be artistic. And with 1080p, I think it's you know what good enough to show you great quality with this without really needing you to go to 4K. And I think it's those small details that brings more realism to certain scenes in 4K because you can have those extra details that certain games and games that are a lot on the Switch don't really need them today. So this year I've been playing uh, a bit of F-Zero GX, on, which is a GameCube game on the Wii, uh, and it can output 480p. So I've been playing it at 480p, and like, it's a game that came out in what, like 2003 and mm-hmm. the art design in that game, like it's, it's it's actually trying to look realistic as well, but the art design in that game is so fucking fantastic that I don't notice it being 480p when I play it. It is not a deal breaker. Like, of course, like I have this entire like rat's nest of video cables to actually get the best signal out of the Wii because I'm that kind of person. <laughs> um, so that, that helps uh, if you're playing through, composite then i'm sorry um it's not gonna be that experience i'm proud of you you usually have a better nickname for composite no (laughs) but yeah uh so and nintendo games often have that kind of quality to them where the art design is so strong and all of that that within a couple seconds it kind of disappears and you don't notice um I don't have that vibe with the Switch because, like I said, like my first experience with the Switch was at that uh, Switch event in Japan, and I was standing next to a four, like centimeters next to a 4K TV that was playing 720p uh, Splatoon. I was like, "This looks like garbage." Uh, whereas, like, I, I guess the distance was better here at home, where I couldn't really tell the difference. And like, I think that entire generation of consoles, uh, PS2, Xbox, and GameCube, is like just at the line where. The quality of graphics those com- those consoles could put out and the art design that was going into those games was just enough to like stand the test of time because like Final Fantasy 12 is very much the same thing on PS2 where the textures in that game are so good and the art design is so good that it basically you almost have no reason to play the HD remaster aside from like cleaner fonts <laughs> and better 16 by 9 support uh because the game was just so well designed that it actually scales up quite nicely. Um, and yeah, I, I can see that not being a thing, but at the same time, it's like it, you're so, you're sounding like those PC people who saw the retina display and they were like, Oh, well you never need a high enough re- resolution display to actually enjoy a phone. 
And then it's like, then you have it and you're like, oh, I can never go back anymore. <laughs> I I understand the point you're trying to make. And I don't think that's the case because I wouldn't say that for the PS5 nor the Xbox uh, Series consoles. Of course, ignoring the Series X, uh, Series S, excuse me. Um, but I, I think the distinction I'm trying to make is with the concession or no, no the trade-offs Nintendo decided to do to build the Switch the way it is, I think it's okay to not have it versus what Sony and Microsoft are doing today. That would be literally a point to ridicule them if they didn't have four, proper 4K support now yeah. in 2020. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, yeah, like you put all your resources into ray tracing and all of that stuff and you're like, but you only output at 720p? It would be like <laughs> kind of really dissonant and inconsistent with their strategy like i get what you're getting at the thing is like as much as we would like to believe that it is not the case uh third-party developers also want to make switch games that are not necessarily nintendo art design Mm -hmm. and uh and like the issue i actually see coming and that was maybe my improvised conclusion to this thing is uh right now switch is struggling to get good ports of ps4 and xbox one games what happens when PS5 and Xbox One and, uh, fuck, Xbox Series <laughs> games are the main games being developed and now you have to backport a generation ago to Switch? What the hell do you do then? Does third-party support just disappear like on the Wii and you just get like Just Dance for the rest of time? Like, I don't know. But like, th- we're coming to that in a couple of years. And I think if Switch wants anything at all they sort of don't have a choice but to evolve the hardware meaningfully soon okay no i can get beyond this point um but i don't think it destroys the rest of my arguments because uh uh switch i I was about to say it's a niche in their in their own but no they, they have their own market where uh the idea is like, give me a game and whatever the game is, we'll play, right? Yeah, it it, it actually kind of reminds me of Vita, but it kind of pisses me off even more <laughs> because it's like there's this entire class of people who only buy Nintendo systems and they're like, I would never touch this game with a three-foot pull if it was on PS3, but now that it's on Switch, I will buy it and it will be my best friend for the rest of time. And I don't care that it's a two-star game. It is my favorite game of all time because it's on the Switch. And, like, that kind of pisses me off. But whatever, that's a different thing. And that's true, but now that you bring up this, the Vita, um, sometimes uh, I am thinking to myself, I'm reminiscing the Vita, and then I'm like... The Nintendo Switch is, no, the Nintendo Switch success is what we, so you and I wish the Vita success was. Yeah, and like all of the horny games from the Vita are now on Switch, so there we go. Nintendo's (laughs) going to be super happy with that. Good. So again, uh, that's my my two requests. Uh, Better body life uh, and a better screen. Uh, And you know what? Maybe because of a better screen, they decide to have a 1080p screen. And when you dock it, uh, it's more performant, so we can get 4K, which that I'll be get behind for sure. But uh, doesn't really care to have like 4K capabilities, like in NL mode. Yeah, no, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> Again, like we have quote unquote 4K resolution screens. Not maybe not on the iPhone, but like a lot of Android phone, they do support 4K resolution when you watch 
on their uh, OLED or LCD screen. So that's also feasible. Like we have the tech today, but not maybe at the tech at three hundred dollars no. at the price of the Switch. Cool. So that pretty much does it for uh, everything I had to say about next generation consoles. We almost did two hours, so that's pretty cool. Um, I know a couple of people uh, in our listener base had actually expressed that they were not sure what to do with regards to these new console things. So if we have helped you uh, demystify what you're doing in terms of console purchases uh, going forward, then that's cool. If we've just confused you even more, then uh, I, I guess that was also to be expected to a certain degree. Um, hey, we, for- we forgot to do one thing, though. What's that? So when we talk about Microsoft... We didn't mention whether we would buy any of the consoles. We didn't do anything about Sony. Oh, that's true. Oh, well, we we can rewind. Um, I just realized it's like, do we need to do that for Switch? No, because there's not really announcement. But then I was like, oh wait, we didn't do that segment for when before concluding on the PS5. I guess that's true. Um, yeah. Do you want to go first for PS5 or? I can. So on the PS4. I did buy it two years after its launch, which meant that with the introduction of a, of a mid-generation upgrade, I felt that it was a pill, a pill hard to swallow for me. I was in my mindset of saying, you know what, I buy a, like a home console every five to seven years. I I was a bit too expensive at launch or there was not that much game. I, I rarely buy cons. I think, no, I shouldn't say that because I did do that with the PS3, which again, could be a year after it got launched, if I recall it correctly. Yes, it was a year after launch. Um, so I'm not, I am not the type of gamer that will buy it at launch. I usually tend to wait because in the first year or so, there's still a lot of, cross-generation games so you still can enjoy your home console your, your past and console start to build up a catalog of like oh yeah i would like to get this game or this game is coming soon or this game is now only on the new con- new generation of console and i would like to buy it um the main question i was asking myself in the past few weeks is whether i would wait a year or wait two years um the uh, amorphic launch titles lineup uh, right now is maybe telling me like, oh, maybe I can stretch it. Uh, but I know myself. And the second that Gran Turismo 7 gets <laughs> out, uh, I'll throw all those plans out the window. So right now I would say next year, like 100% sure next year, if GT7 gets released into in 2020s first so in the next year so uh if it gets released early i think i'll wait until the next holiday season because i really like to buy console as more or less everybody in the holiday seasons um but i wouldn't be surprised that if it gets released in march for strange reasons uh that it would be hard to resist the temptation to buy a ps5 the other thing that is interesting is, as you may recall from our previous video games episode, I I, I tend to buy the cheapest version of the game um, that was available, whether it was digital or physical. So, uh, for some games, I have their digital, their physical discs. Um, Rays of the Tomb Raider is a good example, and. It, 
funnily enough, I since again I don't really buy them at launch those games either. I then ended up buying some special edition with cheap deals later on. I, the exception to this was Gran Turismo Sport, which I bought at launch, uh, which has uh, like <laughs> the physical the physical disc with a nice metal case and all that fun stuff. Uh, but I do end up with three or four games on the PS4 uh, that I would have to leave behind if I decide to take the digital edition. Um, and I would be tempted to say, you know what, I have a nice 4K TV now that the Sony console supports the Sony Blu-rays, especially the <laughs> yeah, UHDs. So uh, that's finally one thing. Uh, we'll be tempted, but you know what? In the past few years, I've done, I, I waited for the cheapest price to be on PSN. So on the PS store. So even if I would go on Best Buy on EB games and see, oh, a game in my wallet and wait and wish list is cheaper physically. I was like, no, 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 no. I'll wait to deal online. I just want to download it. I don't want to deal with this, which brings me to. If I were to buy a PS5 today, um, I would 90, 95% be sure that I would take the digital version. So I think that's more or less where I'm at. So next year, and I'm quite inclined to get the digital version. But next year. Interesting. What about you? So I'm looking at my shelf right now, and I have about a dozen physical PS4 games. Ooh, I'm surprised. It's mostly birthday and Christmas gifts. Uh. And that's something that I'm actually like curious to see how it's going to turn out with parents buying. Well, I, I don't know. PS5 is kind of expensive, but like parents buying consoles for their kids and not realizing that there's no disc port and then buying games for them for their birthday and uh, everything going to shit. That's going to be great. <laughs> um so yeah, I, I have about a dozen uh, physical games and many of them are games that I actually do want to finish because they are in progress or I guess one of them I haven't even started to play. Um, so the, there's that. So automatically I'm locked into physical version and I think I would still prefer physical version anyway uh, because of Blu-rays and all that stuff. The question is, like, is there going to be enough stuff on PS5 to actually get me interested in in the door? And I think one of the things that the realistic art style tends to do to video games is they tend to try to be more cinematic narrative-driven games that are not necessarily the games that I want to play. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of a turnoff, uh, partially. Then there's all of the... Uh, PC gaming bullshit I mentioned earlier, which is like downloading patches and all of that stuff. Uh, I hope PS5 doesn't have the same wacko networking issues that crashes my modem every three seconds when my PS4 is on. Uh, and I don't even know how I would know that unless I bought one and plugged it in and then realized it crashes my modem every five seconds. Uh, so fingers crossed, I guess. Um, so like there's that too. The thing that really redeems it kind of for me is uh, back compat, because the idea of returning to the games that I'm already playing and having better versions of them so I can finish these games and in an even better state is pretty uh, interesting to me. And Gran Turismo 7 is very interesting to me. Uh, and I'm very curious to see what they do with VR on PS5. Like the story is not entirely clear for me right now what's happening with that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I definitely want to know what's going on with that. I definitely don't think I'm going to be getting it in the same in the next year, even if Gran Turismo Seven comes out, because it's a lot of fucking money. <laughs> and true, I try to stay very uh, regimented with my spending uh, for stuff like this, and it would basically eat like uh, two thirds of the year just by itself to buy the console, and I don't think it's worth that for me right now um and the other thing is like i have this bookcase full of ps1 games that i'm trying to play and i am much more interested in a lot of those ps1 games than i am in much of what i've seen of the ps5 game lineup Uh, right now there are two games i like on ps5 and i don't know when they're going to announce more uh so unless they really announce like a gigaton game that is going to be like my favorite game of all time for the rest of time like i don't think it's going to be happening anytime soon but i'm definitely not opposed to getting one in a couple of years and i feel pretty good for having skipped ps4 pro because i feel like i'm just going to be even more impressed once i once i get a ps5 and all my games are super enhanced the other thing is like i'm playing these games on a 1080p gaming monitor i am not playing on an oled tv i don't have hdr i don't have 4k uh, I feel like it would almost be a waste to get a PS5 and be playing on such shitty equipment in re- relative to what it can output. So maybe upgrade my setup first. I don't know. Um, I'm a bit surprised on what you said, though. Uh, the Yannick of the past year, eighteen months or so, uh, I'm not surprised of what you just said. I think your recent, and I'm sure we'll see that in about a month in the game of the year episode, your recent shift to going back to old consoles, revisiting, uh, their, their catalog of games and spending less time on, uh, on more modern consoles. Uh, it goes with what you just said. And especially if I recall correctly, the main reason why you move somewhat fast on the ps4 was because of destiny yeah and i don't like destiny 2 so that really helps <laughs> uh, yeah and i don't know if they're coming with destiny 3 for the ps5 i don't really follow that uh, destiny 2 is 120 fps in multiplayer on ps5 oh shit wow okay that's impressive yeah even if you don't like the game um huh so yeah, that is why I'm a bit surprised. Is I wonder which game will as the as the destiny effect of the PS4 on you for the PS5. And like the thing is, a lot of what is wrong with Destiny 2 can change with an expansion. Like that that's kind of the thing with games as a service like Destiny is like they've already changed the entire model of what Destiny 2 is twice since Destiny 2 came out. So they could come Hmm. out next year and completely change what the game is like to actually play, and it's playable again. I don't think they will because it doesn't seem like it fits in their strategy at all, but they could do that, and I could be back on board. Uh, But right now, like I've literally in the last few weeks, I've been playing Destiny 1 again uh, by myself and speedrunning levels because like I'd rather do that than play Destiny 2. Uh, So... I mean, I could play Destiny 1, but it doesn't have PS4 Pro patches or anything at all because it was already Destiny 2 time by the time PS4 Pro came out. So uh, it's probably just not going to change at all from how it was on PS4. So I- I'm not going to buy a PS5 for not zero improvements to Destiny 1. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that pretty much does it. Uh, oh, yeah. The-, the other thing is you mentioned uh, 
my my year of PlayStation project. Like, what's actually pretty funny is throughout the year, I've actually just started expanding my PS2 library as well. Uh, so I'm kind of marching forward in time <laughs> alongside the PlayStation One and PlayStation Two consoles. Um, but I guess we'll talk more about that on Game of the Year. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of funny that you mentioned that, and I was like, oh yeah, but I mostly bought PS2 games this year because I can't get anything shipped from Japan because it's inconvenient because of COVID. <laughs> Yeah, but let's not forget, PS2 is a long time ago. I know, 20 years, man. Yep. 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 Good. So, if you want to find all the show notes for this episode where Yannick will put... And myself, I've mentioned a couple of links I want to include for uh, our... Uh, for like PS4, PS5, you excuse me, uh, Xbox Series reviews that we've uh, entered or mentioned during this episode, you can find all of those links at limitlesspossibility.net slash 149, you can do that on HTTPS and TLS. That's great. Yeah. To plug this change again, uh, you can find our back catalog securely on our <laughs> website at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find uh, the show and its latest news on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Even if I'm taking a break on Twitter, you can still find me there and I'll see your notification. So if you want to send, tell me that I should buy a PS5 sooner or that my switch pro opinions are wrong you can find me at Lukonosh that's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E and you can find Yannick at Sakarina that's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A double check my count but I think I only messed up Xbox Series once in the entire episode yeah you only messed up Xbox One once yes and on that note see you in two weeks see you in two weeks